0: Today on the show, I'm happy to have Moose Chowdhury. He's the founder of Rocketphone AI. They're a Salesforce-focused phone system that is AI and cloud first. And we are just talking about the importance of choosing the right co-founders. So what was your experience with that early days? I were a startup software company. We've been around for five years now. And I, I think if you look at the startup landscape, people get very excited about their startup because they have this amazing idea. They want to grow it. They want to see the baby go from being like a little thing to an adult and and a part of that excitement comes from the people that you're working with and the people that you're starting to go build a startup with. I think a lot of startups make the mistake early on of getting too excited, maybe sometimes with the wrong people. And, and every successful startup has people at the founding stages that have complementary skills. So my background, I have some technical background because I started my career as a research scientist, but over the years I've become more and more commercial. And, and, and so in our startup, we needed somebody who was very technically oriented to, to plug that gap. And I I think in hindsight, we started off really well, uh, but over time, we started to see challenges and cracks appearing in in the way in which we were building software and and engineering and and, and so on. And it was something that we had to fix fairly quickly uh, in order to avoid this problem growing and growing and becoming like a major issue for us. I I would say the major challenge that we had as a business was probably starting off maybe with not the perfect mix of people. uh, And the consequence to us of that was really, it set us back 8 to 12 months and where we had to Almost start again with that technical team, but it was a good lesson learned for us. And, and it helps us to strengthen the way in which we develop software from that point onwards. So did you find a new co-founder at that point, or was it just hiring the right team for the technical aspect? It it, it transpired that we just needed very strong technology people. And so we didn't end up getting another co-founder. We decided uh, getting another co-founder is actually quite hard once you have founded the business. Because uh, you tend to find that people coalesce uh, around a particular problem or domain or something like that. And uh, once you've started, it, it, it's, it's quite challenging finding people who have that sort of, who share the kind of excitement and, and the foresight that you might've had right at the beginning. Uh, and the other thing with getting co-founders in is that you end up having to share a ton of equity, right? And so it, you get to a point where it makes more sense to, to recruit people, pay them a salary, pay them a wage, and but have them in sync with what you're looking to achieve. And motivated by the fact that their work is going to have a major impact on the industry. And you can financially motivate them as well like with stock options and so on. So no, we didn't need to get like a co-founder per se, but we did manage to recruit a team that had the right attitude, I suppose is the way to put it. So when that kind of split happened and then you now realize, okay, that that's like an eight to 12 month setback, yeah. where were you at? What were you thinking? It it all came to light when we, with one of our earlier customers and the software on the face of it, it was beautiful. It looked great. It delivered exactly what we said we were going to build. And all the demos were absolutely awesome. And, and so everything was great up until that point. It came to light when we gave it to one of our early stage customers. And up until that point, we've been building, building, and everything was like great. The demo was fantastic. It looked really good. Everything we said that this product was going to do, it was doing it. And, and the customer... The customers loved what we, the vision that we had and, and and what they were going to be getting from us, because we've done a great job of painting their future with our product. But unfortunately, when the customer got the product, we started noticing that there were problems here, performance issues there, Uh, 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 the feature didn't work quite the way we expected. The demo was all happy path, but now you give it to these end users and they're going to go off down every path and and they're going to explore areas of the application that you probably didn't, you you probably hadn't thought about. And, And so things started to come to a head when the customer, they kept coming back to us saying, this isn't working, that isn't working. It's just slow down here. It's just stopped there. And we were quite fortunate because we had a very uh, understanding customer. They, these guys are startups. We've got to give them headway. And when I speak about the eight to 12 months, the eight to 12 months delay that it caused us, if I'm completely honest and transparent about where we were, and, and I think every tech startup has this problem, so I'm not ashamed to admit it. We had built up quite a bit of technical debt and we'd gone off and tried to build this thing really quickly. And we, we, should have slowed down a bit and been a bit more careful and, and, and considered about how quickly we were releasing features. We were just desperate to get this product out of them. We're so excited by our own vision for it, that we just gave it to this customer and it wasn't fully tested. But, but the customer gave us time yeah. and they worked with us, they gave us constant feedback and, and so the, this technical debt that we built up, we, we managed to resolve that in, in that twelve month period. The disadvantage was that it set the company back a little bit. The advantage was that we emerged like super strong and. I can't mention the name of the customer on, on this call, but I, they know who they are. And we will be eternally thankful for their patience and for their cooperation in, in realizing that these guys, they need a bit of help and really working with us to solidify our products. And now that we've been through that, the benefit of hindsight and stuff like that, yeah, I, I, I would probably make different decisions about how we formed the initial team. I would probably use a different set of criteria to measure. Like the efficacy of my founding team members, really looking back on it. But I, I think sometimes mistakes are unavoidable. And I think the very nature of being in a startup business is if you're in the software space, then by definition almost, what you're building is going to be new, because if it isn't, and it isn't innovate, who's going to want it, right? Because there's so much software out there. You have to differentiate. And, and the only way you can differentiate is by creating something um, that is going to have an impact um, on the market. Um, and, and so. I think every software company is going to go through elements of this, but I I, I think in hindsight with us, we saw the signs early on. We probably should have jumped on it early on and and we probably could have cut that eight, 12 month delay down to three to six months perhaps. Having that hindsight now, what would you be your recommendation for someone who's thinking about forming a business and choosing that founding team now? I I think it's very difficult to offer advice. I, I, I see all these people on like other vlogs and People have been there and done it. And like, you, you, I, I spend a lot of time watching Y Combinator videos, because I think a lot of the guys on Y, the, the, they're full of really insightful information. It's good to hear other startup founders and the the titles that they had. But at the end of the day, it's, you know, it's, sometimes you got to learn from your own mistakes. And the, the advice I, I guess I would offer is just be very careful about who you're going to business with, because it's like getting married to somebody, right? It's going to, it's going to have to be an enduring long-term relationship and think back at your relationship with that person or with those people over the past few years? So have you been in difficult situations with them? Have you ever been in an argument with them? Have you ever disagreed with each other? And if those things have happened, how did you resolve them? Did you leave them unresolved? That's what some friends do sometimes. Like I do with my friends was like, yeah, whatever, let's just move on from it. You can do that when you have a friendship and just not think back to it. In a business context, you can't just leave it. You have to make decisions and you have to, that's how you move the business forward. So so my advice would just be, just think about who you're getting into business with. One of the biggest things, one of the most important things in in these situations is trust, right? Do you have a level of trust with these people and and where's that trust come from? And often with, with me, for example, there are people in my professional sphere, we've gone to war practically together. And and we've borne the scars of battle out in the field. And when I say out in the field, I mean like sales, marketing, they've had my back, I've had their back. And these are people that I can trust. And we've been in situations where that trust could have been abused, but the other person didn't abuse it. And and can you draw on those experiences to, to help you understand the level of trust that you have with somebody? Because you have to, it's best to have earned trust with somebody because in that startup environment, thinking you can work with somebody over time and, and build that trust with them, inside a startup is not the best place to do it sometimes because you're going to be challenged constantly. And and some people just aren't good with dealing with pressure and challenges. So in the early days, one of your business partners may just start to falter and your perception of that might be the relationship isn't working because they're not dealing with this in, in a way that I, I would want to see it being dealt with. And and the perception there is that you, you don't really have the trust. You can break trust very quickly, but also you, you can have startup founders that you've gone to that you've gone to war with where you'll never build a trust, you know? So it's it's a very difficult thing to get your head around. But at the end of the day, everyone's... I think everyone's going to make mistakes. Like the mistake that we made, I think lots of startups end up with technical debt. They end up with technical debt, design debt, all kinds of debt, right? That they have to go off and fix afterwards. And the challenge you're going to face is going to be on your own. I mentioned these Y Combinator videos. I watched them because they're interesting. If you look at Y Combinator, what do they invest in? They invest in lots of consumer-oriented tech companies. And we're a B2B software company. and so. A lot of the lessons that you hear from these guys aren't irrelevant. Me reading essays by these guys at Y Combinator are going to be somewhere relevant. But you got to people look at Elon Musk and these guys and Steve Jobs, right? They're from their time. um, In that time, their market was shaped by certain operators, right? There were certain pressures. There were certain directions in which technology was going. And each of these guys, they were in the middle of their perfect storm that they could leverage and make the most of. And so their lessons that may not all be relevant to you. So you've got to think about like, where do I find myself? What are the headwinds and tailwinds in, in, in my world? What are the, what is the industry that I'm pushing into? What are the pressures in that industry and how does my reality affect me? And how, how can I make the most of my reality, right? And, and take lessons from here and there, but you know, your journey is going to be yours. It's going to be quite unique to you. And it's all going to be driven by like your product, your vision, the team that you're with, the market that you're in. It's going to be different for every single person. I think the big takeaway from that is like, be patient, just that sometimes you've got to just sit back and just think about stuff and just take in your environment and really think deeply about some things and basic behaviors don't react to things too quickly. Just like if you need to make a decision, sleep on it one night, two nights, three nights, and just be very careful about how you think things through. So yeah, it's a very difficult question to answer, but that's like my very wishy washy response to that. The patience is definitely extremely valuable. And yeah, on. yeah, definitely. Yeah. What's the core of what you do today with Rocket Phone? The, the, there are three things that we do really well at Rocket Phone. from a technology point of view, like the first thing is that we are able to connect into voice sources, no matter where they are. We provide our own telephony platform, but if you are using Zoom or Teams or Google Hangouts or cell phones, that then our platform can hook into those business conversations, right? And then once we have those business conversations. We, we have the ability to real-time process those conversations as they're happening. And, and the beauty of real-time processing is that we can act on things that are being said while they're being said, rather than wait for the end of the call or wait for the end of the month, you know, when you've got the time to process these conversations. And then we have this, so we ingest conversations, we process the conversations, and we've done a huge amount of engineering so that we can process that conversation. Like we, we clean the signal so everything sounds better to the AI engine. We will record the conversation. We may carry the call. We will compare what's being said against our AI models. So we have this unique ability to process the sound in, in the waveform, as well as the text that's being converted. And, and the reason you want to do that is some people, they may say something in jest or sarcastically, right? And if you, if you literally take the words, you have one meaning. But if you hear the intonation, then it tells you, oh, this guy's being sarcastic. He doesn't read really minutes. So if I say to you, oh, yeah, I'm so happy with this. That's sarcasm, right? And, and you can work out that he's not really happy with it at all. And there's lots of ways in which we exploit waveform. We can, when somebody's speaking on the phone, we can figure out how old they are. Right? We can figure out whether they have a vulnerability. So somebody may be calling in, they're mumbling the words, uh, they're not saying things right, so that might be something that points towards dementia or or aphasia. Somebody may be critically ill and and sort of vulnerable because they're terminally sick. And all these things, apart from having pretty strong social benefits, they're important to regulated businesses like financial services. So, if you're selling a pension or a loan or, or, or something like that, and, and, and the customer that you're talking to is vulnerable, you have a, a duty of care as a business, but also from a regulatory perspective to handle that conversation in a particular way, right? And, and right now, banks and financial service organizations they get fined hundreds of millions of dollars every year just because they're breaking the rules. So, we have this ability to process waveform, can process the text. And then when we hear something interesting, we have the third component, which is this real-time workflow that can act on it. If we detect vulnerability, the workflow actually needs to pause this conversation, escalate it to somebody with the right training and let that person handle the conversation because they'd be trained on how to deal with customers that express vulnerability. If a customer says, I- I've called about my broadband service, it's not working. And by the way, I'm really looking forward to watching the football tonight on pay-per-view, they haven't got pay-per-view with you guys. So why don't you try to cross them pay-per-view, right? But then. The broadband team wouldn't do that cross sell because they don't understand how to sell it. That sits with the pay per view team, so we can generate an opportunity or a lead inside Salesforce allocated to the other sales team. Get those guys to schedule a callback with that customer and sell them pay per view. So we can generate like millions of dollars in revenue that wouldn't even have been would have gone unnoticed, right? Without our technology, to listen to it. That's what we do. We ingest conversations, we process them, and we act on, on on the things that we're hearing. And all this stuff happens in real time, constantly. And and by doing this, what we're seeking to do is. Like, massively increase the velocity of these businesses, right? Because imagine how many conversations companies have wall to wall, like tons of conversations. And, and if we can capture every single one, we can extract huge amounts of value from these conversations, opportunities to improve customer service, customer perception, new leads, new business opportunities, like a whole ton of stuff. So that's what we do. <laughs> yeah, it's extremely interesting. Tech, that I did not know existed until now. So, but no. Uh, if our listeners wanted to get in touch, learn more, come a client of yours, how could they yeah. do? Yeah, just come to our website. So it's www.rocketphone.ai. And uh, yeah, you can. if you want to see a demo, just click on the link and fill out your details and we'll, we'll get back in touch with you and, and we'll give you a nice demo. We have lots of large companies using our system now. So all, all the stuff before about the flakiness and everything else that we worked through all that with those early customers who were super, super nice to us and um, Eternally grateful to them for that, but yeah, if you're a new prospect, you won't have to go through all that stuff with us <laughs> well, Thank you, Moosh, for coming on the show, and thank My you everybody for listening to another episode of Failing to Success. Make sure to smash that subscribe button. I'm your host Chad Kalecki, and we'll see you next time.